0: Hi, my name is Markus Koga
1: and this is Arianna Tricomi, and you are listening to the Avalanche Hour podcast.
2: Bonjour, bonjour, bonjour. You're listening to another episode of the Avalanche Hour podcast, and I am your European correspondent Matthias Walcher from the Austrian Association for Snow and Avalanches. The Avalanche Hour podcast is proudly presented by Wissen, Avalanche Control, Safety through Innovation. Additional support is provided by 10 Bell Brewing and InterWest Insurance. And as you all know, the goal of this podcast is to create a stronger community through the sharing of stories, knowledge and news amongst people with a curious fascination of avalanches. Well, hallo und guten Tag, as I should say. Uh, as an Austrian because we do not speak French but but German here um, you might already have noticed we or I do have a new microphone here which increases sound quality I hope but it will not increase my language skills which is a bummer but I hope I will get better um, with more episodes coming up this by the way is episode 6.8 so the 8 episode of the sixth season, and it is the third episode from the Austrian Association for Snow and Avalanches. So what will this episode contain, and what are you going to hear? In the first part, I'm talking to Christoph Mitterer. Christoph Mitterer is an avalanche forecaster for the Avalanche Warning Service in Tyrol, and he will give us uh, an update on the current snow an avalanche situation in the alps and after that uh, i will make you listen to some parts of an interview i conducted in spring with uh, ariana tricomi and markus kogler it will be about their free ride world tour and uh, free ride competitions in general yeah i'm currently sitting in in my office here in uh, Salfelden, which is Salzburg, which is Austria, looking out of my window and behind my window there is a, a small mountain and it's uh, close to 2,000 meters in height. And there are fields and pastures reaching up to the ridge line, and obviously. A lot of people around here are ski tours, and they use those open slopes to to ski. And at the moment, I see two people skiing up that that mountain, which means uh, winter has arrived here. And uh, yeah, there is already some snow even in the valleys, about fifty centimeters in front of my house here. How is the situation in Innsbruck, Christoph? Yeah,
3: definitely. Also here in the city, in low-lying areas, we have a little bit of snow. It's uh, not a lot, but it's enough to make snowmans and uh, to uh, grab a snowball and, and, and hit someone with it. <laughs> yeah, generally
2: in the last uh, uh, two weeks, I think we got quite a lot of snow. Um Give us give us an update. Do you have a like over the whole Alpine arch? Uh, how is the snow cover?
3: Yeah, you're right. In the last uh, two weeks, especially, we received several inches or centimeters of snow. Uh, we got hit by several storms uh, from both sides of the Alps, so uh, from northwest and south. And the uh, snowpack uh, started to build up uh, with the last days of, uh, of uh, November, beginning of December. And it feels like a lot of snow, but uh, I had a look into our, statist- in our, into our statistics and uh, it just feels like a lot, but we are about an average uh, uh, when, we, when we look at the graphs we have uh, built up over the last decades. Huh.
2: That's very interesting because that's what I just wanted to say that in my perception last year and this year felt like uh, that the snow came very early, you know, in comparison with the years before, like having that snowpack and having the, the possibility to ski even in the trees in early December is quite an uh, uh, anomaly, 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 is that the word? Uh <laughs> <laughs> in in my memories, at least, so you say that's 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 not the case we're we're in average at the moment,
3: yeah, yeah, you're right. So the feeling is one thing, but statistics shows that we are mostly in average in some parts where the storm just hit the regions we are of course a little bit above average but in general we are around average and it it is really funny that you um point to that feeling that with compared with uh, the last couple of winters it seems to be an anomaly to have uh, uh, a decent snowpack in december uh looks like uh, climate change is also hitting the alps now
2: yeah it it really seems like that the winters are are getting shorter somehow like they start later and they end sooner maybe that has something to do with climate change in the last couple of days we had a couple of incidents there was that one incident with the three fatalities in in Salzburg and then there was another incident uh, yesterday involving uh, uh, some teenagers one person also died um let's talk first about the snowpack uh, before we talk about probably the the last incident i mentioned um both incidents were due to persistent weak layers on the bottom of the snowpack is that a problem we are having
3: in the entire alps or is that uh, uh locally only locally a problem um yeah, you, you mentioned it. So we had a couple of human-triggered avalanches uh, during the last, I would say, 10 days. And yes, this is uh, due to deep, persistent uh, weak layers or persistent weak layers uh, close to the bottom of the snowpack. Um, it's a phenomenon we are experiencing at least in large parts of the Eastern European Alps. I cannot say uh, much about the West, but uh, I would say, uh, uh, until the eastern parts of Switzerland, uh, entire Austria and the eastern parts of Italy are experiencing more or less the same snow stratigraphy, the same structure of the snowpack. And uh, this structure is, is uh, actually built up with a crust sandwich at the bottom of the snowpack due to early snowfalls in, in late October and, and mid-November. In between this crust sandwich, we have uh, facets and in some parts also depth core. And on that sandwich, uh, we have uh, now sitting the snowfalls of the last 14 days. So the perfect uh, setting for easy triggering and, and also large avalanches.
2: hmm it Doesn't sound very promising with regard to the rest of the season, since uh, our memories tell us that those persistent weak layers uh, like to
3: pose a problem for the rest of the season, huh? Yeah, you're right. I would like to to cite here a colleague uh, of the US saying uh, that I trust this layer when it's in the river. So <laughs> you're right. Uh, uh, we will have uh, problems. Uh, at least until the next uh, large snowfalls are happening and are kind of burying this crust sandwich deeper into the snowpack. Mm-hmm.
2: The the weather reports for the next for the next two weeks uh, are not very favorable for the snowpack. And what I have seen, like I think we we see a warming in the next couple of days, but then we also see a long period of uh, blue skies and and like having uh it seems like that the the surface of the snowpack will will facet and uh then be uh be probably a weak layer for another uh another snow which comes on top of that how do you see how do you see the development in the future
3: yeah yeah i i see that uh very similar you're right. Uh, we are hitting now again a very dry period. At least the next ten to fourteen days are forecasted to be uh, dry, with uh, first uh, a little bit of warming and then uh, a, about uh, on average temperatures for the season. And uh, you're right, the slab will continue to transform into facets, which might help a little bit. Uh, we we won't have these. Uh, Large avalanches any longer, so fracture propagation propensity will decrease, mm-hmm. I guess. But you will have these very rare events with large avalanches, and and I expect less activity. But um, in case you have activity, it's going to be dangerous for for free riders and skiers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, what I wanted to to talk with you about as well is that uh, that other incident which happened yesterday I mentioned um, with
3: I think there was a group of teenagers involved. Yeah, you're right. It was a group of teenagers uh, between 12 and 15 years old, um, all boys uh, from uh, all locals. So from the village below the mountain where uh, the avalanche was triggered, it was close to the ski areas, so and not on a piste. It was on backcountry. Uh, you know that we in Europe do not have the concept of inbounds and out-of-bounds. So everything which is next to the piste is backcountry, so unsecured. And they just left uh, the secured piste and entered a very steep north-facing slope uh, just around treeline. And unfortunately... Triggered facets uh, around that crust sandwich I, I mentioned before uh, avalanche was uh, uh, a typical skier as avalanche so size two and they got all swept away within that avalanche um, one uh, boy completely buried that's the victim. And three of them heavily injured because there were rocks and trees around. So high consequences terrain as well. And yeah, definitely sad. And, uh, and, and, and uh, what is really a point in that story is no, no one of the boys had a uh, beacon probe or shovel with him. So without uh, safety gear. Uh, which kind of uh, is sad because uh, a mountain rescue was on place within minutes, and uh, yeah, those things are always like yeah, uh, uh, yeah. As I said, they are making me sad.
2: Yeah, it's a tragedy, also, or uh, especially when it involves um, young young folks, and then it poses also the question, or it, it arises the question, like why do we not reach them? Um, with our warnings because uh, yesterday we had like a, a, a considerable avalanche danger and I think the communication uh, from you via media via social media was quite good that that that's a an avalanche prone day um, it seems like we do not reach them that well with our warnings what, what is your impression and, and how how can we possibly change that?
3: good questions. There are two important points uh, hidden in in your statement. So the first question is, um, it seems that our warnings do not reach the audience, especially young adults uh, and and teenagers. So we have to explore why that's the case, why that's an issue. And then uh, we probably have to adopt our products in a way that we can communicate to this audience. Uh, And the second point is the the safety equipment. This is is really also a a sad thing because we had several incidents now in the last couple of years with uh, especially young boys around 16 hitting uh, the backcountry without uh, proper gear. And with proper gear, I mean proper safety equipment. And uh, and that's an education issue, I think. And again, we have to explore here why that's the case. So we have to probably work better with schools, uh, initiatives, and, and, and also parents in educating those kids uh, because they, they are charging. And, and uh, it's also good that they are charging, but they have to do it uh, in a proper way with a good risk management and uh, the necessary safety.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I see it the same way. And I'm, uh, I'm glad or that you from the Avalanche Warning Service in Tyrol, you have that new project, which just uh, was approved, where you bring Avalanche and Snow education in schools. And I think that is, uh, as you said, very important to prevent such incidents in the future. Thank you, Christoph, for the insight in uh in the snowpack, in the general situation in the Alps at the moment. And uh yeah, we will talk again soon, probably in in uh February or so, and see how the situation um, um has improved
3: or has changed until then. Thank you, Christoph. Yeah, thanks for having me. Have a good one. That's good, ciao.
2: In the second part of this episode today, I am playing a recorded interview or parts of a recorded interview from which I conducted in spring last season with two friends of mine, Markus Kogla and Arianna Tricomi. Arianna Tricomi, is a freerider. Um, she was skiing in the Freeride World Tour in the last couple of years. She won the Freeride World Tour with... Uh, women's ski competition three times in a row from 2018 to 2020. She's a professional skier uh, making videos and uh, yeah producing all winter long and then uh, there's Markus Kogler. Markus Kogler he's a mountain guide and he is um, involved in many many things in the avalanche world in Austria but the reason why I uh why I talked with him during that interview is because he's also in charge of the safety of the free ride uh world tour stop in Fieberbrunn and also for uh, a variety of other competitions free ride competitions in Austria called the Open Faces so that's his main duty to during the the winter season and yeah, in this interview we at the beginning or the first big part of the interview, we talked a whole lot about the structure of these events and how they build on another, which I, I don't want to play here in full length because it probably um, is out of scope. However, just to summarize it uh, very briefly, in the free wide world tour you have basically around five stops. Um, there is the one in Verbier. It all started actually with these extreme uh, Verbier snowboard competition events. And out of that, the Freeride World Tour resulted from that. I think uh, first time took place in 2008, if I'm not wrong. So there's that stop in Verbier. Then there is another stop in uh, Val Nord, which is uh, Andorra. And then there is Hakuba, Japan, uh, Kicking Horse, uh, BC, Canada, and then there's Fieberbrunn uh, in Austria, in Tyrol, and that's the main event, where uh, Markus is is uh, in charge for for the safety in general, so not only avalanche safety, but the whole safety and also organizing the event. Anyway, so there are these five star events which are. These five main freeride world tour stops, and then there are one to four star events below that, which are called the qualifier events. And you can so first when you start, you enter a one star or a two star event, and then you uh, then you get points. And in these one or two star events, there the phases are very easy. There are no rocks. There are no no fall zones. So quite simple phases um where you can win points and then when you have a certain experience certain number of points you uh, raise that ladder until you reach the four-star events and until you qualify for uh the freeride world tour and then of course when you're high up in these events when you are at the five-star level the phases you ski um they are of course way more difficult and way more challenging. and of course, with those qualifications to the main event, you can ascertain that the riders which are competing uh, on the highest level have also the skills to ski those uh, faces safely. And this leads us to uh, to the interview and be prepared for a sound quality drop in three two one beep and so um, you said there are uh, the, these faces with the different uh, stars and also with regarding to the world tour there's different difficulty and also the skill level of the riders changes um, this might be an odd question but is there also uh, is there also difference in snow conditions between these levels or to put it in other words uh, do you sometimes start at the world tour uh, in snow conditions where a start at the qualifier would be cancelled like breakable crust or whatever because you know that the skill level of your riders is better the higher the level true but
0: actually no we always look to have Good conditions, uh, for sure. It's not always possible because you have this Saturday in a, in a world to event. It's much easier because you have uh, six, seven days of waiting period, weather window where you choose the best day of, of in this in this seven days. Even then, we have not always the best uh, the best conditions. What you see this year, but um, at least. You hope the best, and then it's not always perfect power, for sure. It's a, it's a competition. It's a 3 to one go on this Saturday or Sunday. At least we have uh, also at the higher level qualifiers like 3-star. We have two days weather window. And, and in Obergurgle, it's it's one of the important four-star in Europe. We have four days of weather window where we can choose the best day out of these four days.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ari, when we we were talking about those competition days, uh, what what is the the routine on such a day uh, and in in preparation for the contest?
1: Uh, Well, I think everybody has his own routine. As I said, the tour really has so many different characters and um, everybody has his own way of approaching the comp I think Uh, the days before the comp are maybe the most interesting ones because some people ski a lot, other people don't go ski so much because they want to save their legs, some people face check for hours, others face check for a second and they know their line so it's a very interesting uh, way um of competing I think like for me some faces uh you get there and like quite like straight away you have your line and I quite like that feeling when you see your line like straight away Fieberbrunn for me is one of the faces that I love the most and that I struggle the most still, even though I skied it six times. Every time I get there, it's like, wow, where should I ski at now? And so um, the day of the comp, I usually try to wake up a lot earlier than what I need uh, just because I I may get slow in the morning and I really want to chill out just to not stress because, I mean... Um you can stress out on a day like this but if you remember that you're going skiing then I think you can still stay kind of relaxed um even though ski men uh in all the categories but especially ski men I think the level is so crazy That um, for them, it's always like risking quite a lot, I feel like. uh, Whereas other categories, you can still make, I don't call it play safe, but like you still have to send it, but but maybe like with a bit more consequences, I would say. And so my routine is just wake up and try to chill out and get a few laps uh, if possible. Of skiing before my run, mm-hmm. and then just go skiing. Mm-hmm.
2: What do you mean by uh, a face check? Can you actually ski the face in the days before the competition, or can you enter the face to look where your landings are? And you're like, how does what? What do you mean by face check?
1: So face check means that uh, we get to scope the face. So that means that we can look at the face. Uh, we can look at like from different angles. We can we usually go to the judges' place where the judges stay and we get a look from there just to make sure also that they also see our line or our landing, our cliff. But we are not allowed to ski the face, so we're just allowed to look at it. We can take pictures. All of us, we have a binocular, so we take a, a better look at it. In the past few years, we got some uh, sometimes some drone footage which really I think helps you to to be able to send it more in a safe way Um, but obviously there's many discussions about face checking like some people are against drone footage because it helps you a lot more and if you're like kind of a real free rider you should be able to to look at this and see it Without too much footage. So it's actually a very interesting conversation on the tour, like uh, between big mountain skiers and freestyle skiers. For the freestyle skiers, the very young ones from America, especially, it's very hard to face check because in the States, people are allowed on the qualifiers to ski in the venue. They can't jump the cliffs, but they can check the landings and the takeoffs. And some of them get on the tour, and suddenly they have to look at the face from super far with a binocular, and obviously it changes the whole perspective. So it's a very big challenge for some of the Americans and Canadians to to get on the tour and then just scope the face from from far. Um, yeah, wow, well, uh, you learn so much. I remember in the qualifier being. Quite lost a <laughs> couple of times, but then it's so nice when you start realizing how a face looks from the top or through your binocular and yeah that's the that's the face check mm-hmm.
2: and there is also a riding uh, a rider's meeting what what does that contain
1: well there's many riders meeting usually um, depending I would say depending on the conditions, if the conditions are tricky and the weather keeps on changing, so it brings new snow or strong winds or whatever, then we usually have more riders meeting because the mountain guides uh, that take really good care of us and update us with all the new conditions or how the snow is in there and how safe it is. So Big thanks to the mountain guides because they do the biggest uh, work out there sometimes they they left so early like two in the morning to go check the face for us just to make sure we can skid or not and uh yeah, so riders' meeting usually contain safety uh, we have the beep draw so we we find out what number we're gonna start um, which makes also a big difference if you are right at the beginning or after so you have to take care of your landings if there's many people skiing your line so it's so many different things that you need to understand and learn on the tour or in the freeride comps Uh and uh, yeah riders meeting just help you to to better understand Uh some things
2: (laughs) and when we talk about safety what would you consider uh being the main risk for you as a rider in the competition is it avalanches or is it sharks or is it what would you say
1: well uh i would say that i feel really safe on the comps i mean i we're so lucky that we get this day uh on this face that you have scoped for so many days so you know where to ski and usually we get really good snow and the mountain guides. Secure the face for us. It's like the dream scenario. Like it's your moment down the Mm face with good snow on a line that you should probably have in your mind. It's wow. It's the dream. I really enjoyed it so much. Uh Yeah. Every face is different. Um, Skiing a comp doesn't mean you're like totally safe. It doesn't mean it's a hundred percent sure that there's not going to be any avalanches. We had some examples one was um a slab in alaska i mean alaska was a massive face so it was Im- impossible to secure the whole face and um reine jumped a cliff and yeah he released like on the landing actually a, a big slide and he skied out of it because it's a really good skier and that was really fortunate and the other one that I remember really well, and I was not on the tour yet, was in Kaplan when uh, Julian López like, hiked the face back up to get his ski. But then this big slide released and he was super fast at pulling his airbag. And I think it was maybe the first year or the second one, I don't know, uh, that people, riders had to wear an airbag system. So that was quite, quite lucky. Mm. Uh, but I never felt a fear of avalanches really. Um, in a comp it's usually sharks sometimes, or Mm -hmm. most of the times there are some sharks, especially in Verbier on the final. It's just a big, crazy, steep mountain full of sharks (laughs) and. Other times obviously I mean on comps you usually send it so I mean there's some risk to get hurt uh like any other day out skiing but um as i said i think it's the dream dream day when you get the time to ski the face as you want mm-hmm. with good snow in safe conditions so yeah, comms are quite safe, I would say, and fun.
2: Do you actually have to wear an Avalanche airbag or is that because uh, you all are sponsored of a company? No, we have oh. to. Okay. Now
1: we have to. And people that don't have an airbag get one from the tour. So the tour really takes care of all of us and they really try to help out people that have like less possibilities than others. So... The tour does a great job in really like helping out everybody around the world to make it mm. and and have a good time. So yeah, mm. it's it's a really a really good people. <laughs> cool,
2: yeah. uh, Marcos. What what would you say is the um, remaining residual risk on a <laughs> on a competition day compared like compared with a. Uh, 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 unsecured mountain, the same mountain without uh, s- safety measures or, or avalanche control. As a mountain guide
0: on a on a free ride competition, it's it's a bit uh, out of way to to make a, a risk assessment. Um, when I make my competitions, I have in my risk management three columns, and these three are ones, the conditions on the D-Day, then we have a terrain on the different comps um, and the third one is, is the most important I would say, is it's it's the rider. Um, when we talk about the conditions, we have, uh, like you mentioned before, uh, breaking crust or we have too much snow, that means the avalanche risk goes up. or. What uh, Ari mentioned, we are with uh, a poor snow uh, layer. So it's sharky landings, um, maybe not, not the best. Uh, so we, we check all the conditions. Um, like you have also in, a, in the east side, we have kind of slushy um, conditions and in the north side, still powder snow. And in the middle, it's a bit a bit mix of it. So in a in a riders meeting, that's one of the measures we we set. Um, we talk to the riders and and give them all the informations. And uh, especially also for some landings we don't like, uh, or we also when we talk about the terrain, we make also no skiing sounds. No skiing means. Uh, that's for sure no falling zones because when you fall there you get a big problem. and uh, sometimes we also mark some uh, some rocks or some sharks. Um, there we go through a list uh, where we uh, have a kind of pilots doing their checklist before they start uh, airplane um so we go through our checklist um the days before the competition and and look uh, every single thing uh on on that three columns
2: mm-hmm. so just about a month ago there was the, the world tour uh taking place in Fieberbrunn. so what is the when you when you when you when you say you have that agenda you're going through uh the week before the event so what with regard to um, avalanche safety, what are the measures you take uh, and, and what are you looking at in the, in the days and weeks before the events? And when does this all start for you? When does your work with regard to avalanche safety start?
0: Yeah, this, this year was, was, was very, very, very special. For example, um, I was, uh, in, in the, in the six days, uh, I was ten times ta- ten times on the summit of the Will Seular. Hmm. Um, um, this year we have for sure a problem with the weather conditions, snow conditions as well. We have uh, um, yeah, not too much snow this year. It was really poor. The snow situation and um, for sure this year. Because of Corona, uh, um, the weather reports getting also not that good as the last year's. And, um, yeah, it was really a tricky a tricky one this year. Um, because 10 days before the competition, I, I thought it's not possible to hold the Freeride World Tour in Fiberbrunn this year. But then, the, yeah some some snow comes in and it was really interesting to to watch this year uh, the the snow um, but at least um yeah it worked in i would say yeah not the best conditions but the uh, good skible, um and good for a competition yes
2: Mhm. So, uh you start about a week before the event and then you go up and you look at the snowpack and you um you look at the weather report and then you 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 first of all like when is there a person who decides if the event actually can take take place or not? Like when is that decision made?
0: Yeah, it's uh, that's me. <laughs> Um, who say yes or no? Um, at least um, I had one pro rider with me. It was uh, Flow Early, a former pro rider uh, who goes with me on the on the summit uh, ten days before, and uh, he said yes, it could be possible. But as I mentioned, it was uh, very thrilling this year and the days before because we get uh, fifteen centimeters. Then getting warm and again 15, 20 centimeters more than expected. Yeah. Now, the good thing was we had a base. Uh, the, the base was there. Uh, it was uh, still dry, mm-hmm. um, um, not, not, not a crust on, on, on the top. So I was quite positive the days before that when snow is coming, uh, it also sticks on the mountain. And uh, that's always uh, an important one. Uh, because when you have uh, uh, maybe a smelt crust a smelty crust on the, on top um, the snow don't stick on the on the steeper parts and and mm-hmm. then uh, it doesn't help when uh, s- snow is coming but this time it was really yeah we were really, really lucky because the snow comes also without without too much wind so um, at least we got. Uh, yeah, not that not bad uh, conditions on the on the on the uh contest day. But uh what I mentioned before, we we took for sure some measures. Uh, we uh, put out the Heuselcliff uh to to yeah get a bit pressure out of the riders because um you have to know uh is always um a very important one. It's uh, the the last competition before Verbier. They make a, a big cut once more in the in the starter field. In there's twenty ski men, what I know, uh, and in Verbier only twelve, what I know. So it's. Um, Important, really important competition for the for the riders here in Duron. And that's why they give, yeah, mostly 120%, not the hundred.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Does your work differ between smaller and bigger events? once more please yeah you work uh with regard to to safety does it differ between bigger or smaller events between the world tour and the open faces for example or is it
0: the same no not at all yeah not at all um, i would say the highest level on safety or the lowest level i would say we we have when we have juniors on the face then. Uh, for sure, the safety rules are a bit higher. But um, when when you talk about free at world you know also that the the riders are the skills of the riders are much better.
2: Yeah. What is what what would you say is the biggest challenge or the hardest task to 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 do in your job?
0: To inform the riders about the conditions. To give them a good breathing that they know nearly everything every stone on this on this face i know it's it's not possible but um to make a uh wise safe that's the easiest thing at least um, when you have a lot of snow and and we bump it through or or we ski cut it down uh,
2: mm-hmm. even though you say it's the easiest thing that was, uh, as Ariana mentioned before, there was that uh, avalanche incident a couple of years ago uh, in kappel So, what, yeah. what what happened there? What were the circumstances, and uh, what are the the conclusions you draw from that incident?
0: <laughs> the conclusions that uh, that we out in the nature and we ride, we give hundred percent, but it's just ninety percent of safety and and the this 10% we don't have, yeah, it was a special day for sure. We have, it was super deep conditions, Ari. On this day, I think it was a meter of, of fresh snow.
1: Yeah, the and dream conditions.
0: <laughs> dream conditions. <as> a, <laughs> I never see the, the uh, this mountain like this and... Um, yeah, we, we we did everything. I was still on the top. I, I, I can remember. I was the first uh, at at Julien, uh, um, but he was uh, on the on the top. Um,
2: yeah, he was on the top of the yeah. of the avalanche. Yeah, he was
0: of the avalanche. Yes. Um, um, yeah.
2: Hmm.
0: But in 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 conditions like that. Um, it's always different. Sometimes avalanche problem is, is quite small. Sharks are much higher. Then you have competitions where <laughs> you can uh, forget about sharks because uh, you have a meter of fresh snow. Then for sure, the avalanche risk is higher. And uh, and then also the information to the riders that uh, some... Takeoffs don't work today because it's too deep. Um, you can't reach the takeoff, or, or
2: mm-hmm. yeah,
0: it's my, at least it's the, the 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 cool thing on on this work because it's always different.
2: How do you provide that information to the riders? Is that mostly verbally?
0: Yes, it's a riders meeting with pictures. We have a face picture. We have. Uh, no skiing sounds it's marked marked in this face pictures what, what we do um, at the free world they have um, drone footage mm-hmm. what we want to do this year in in open faces as well, but this year is yeah disappeared um, what we will have next year uh, for sure uh, drone pictures because I think it makes uh, what Ari mentioned, this discussion between the writers. I think it makes, makes it, uh, yeah, more safe. And for sure, uh, a chance or more chance for the writers to give us a, a super cool show at, at the event. And that's what we want, what the event organizer want, the sponsors want, uh, the people who are watching the Freeride World Tour on the live webcast want uh, that's a good show and solid riding and no crashes and as better we inform the riders and and they make their their job um, as better is is the outcome of of the whole thing and yeah. and the most important thing is always to have no injuries and no crashes yeah. and
2: it's the game <laughs> <laughs> thanks marcus um ari this, besides the mm-hmm. the the world tour you're uh skiing mostly yeah uh back country or side country terrain which is not controlled um what are the main difference for you compared to the world tour or or what are you enjoying more well um
1: it's different enjoyment. So there's not something I enjoy more. And there's definitely like a, a big difference between a comp day and just a day. Uh, we usually don't really worry so much about avalanches. Like we don't choose a line asking ourselves, is that pocket going to release really? Or is, is this like um, windblown? snow you know like it's quite safe avalanche wise so you really focus on on your line on your tricks on your jumps on your landings Mm -hmm. to ski as fast as you can and that's your main focus when i go out skiing with my my friends um it's definitely like a completely different game um The more I ski, the more I realize that I don't want to be on the mountain with everyone. I feel like it's very important to to have a group of people that you can trust and that you also see skiing in some kind of similar way. Um, When we go out skiing, it's mostly like, we call it mini golf. So it's like usually like shorter, like technical lines but quite short so the consequences usually are also smaller than when you go out to ski big lines like bigger faces Mm -hmm. Um, this winter I I actually um, came really close to an avalanche for the first time in my life and it definitely like changed my whole perspective on this because I did a lot of heavy courses and training and you refresh your skills every year and you kind of, you know what you got to do in case of an avalanche. But actually getting, getting in contact really close with an avalanche and unfortunately with a person, a kid that lost his life changed a lot my perspective and uh, made me realize what an avalanche is and also made me realize that probably the element that I love the most is such a killer so it was like a crazy experience where I learned a lot and it also uh, made me think about how I can try to be a bit more aware about this topic on my social media, especially, and try to at least give uh, a good example to the younger kids out there that are growing up with Instagram and all this kind of stuff that we didn't we didn't have when we mm-hmm. were young. So I don't mm-hmm. think we were really influenced by anybody when we were out in the mountains. We were just doing what we thought it was right. But now you have so so much information from social media about crazy tricks, crazy lines, and everything is sick and you got to send it, but it's not like that. So I stepped away from a line many times because it was not the right time and it was not the right day. But it's so important to also communicate this, that it's not always the right day. Yeah. And that's why you have to, like, I mean, learn or at least be as strong to step away from a face or a line. And I was really lucky to, to find an amazing crew of people here in Innsbruck. They, they show me so much and we grew up together, trusting each other. And I I'd rather ski next to the piste. And I still have so much fun then go out risk if it's not the right day. So yeah. it's, you gotta find the right balance. But obviously, you never know how many times you were really close to an avalanche. You're like either in there or not in there. So yeah, there's still gonna be like a little part that is luck or gamble like unfortunately we can't take 100 percent the risks away in the mountain but we can try to minimize them as much as we can
2: yeah it's always a, a probability calculation i think um at the end we we cannot avoid uh, as you said we cannot avoid the, uh, the, the risk completely uh when we are out skiing and um uh, And another thing you you uh mentioned quite well i think is is from the outside world like the professional freeride scene um it it looks like that that you're always like shredding uh big steep slopes and it's good decent powder and you rarely see avalanches or if they're avalanches you kind of ski and away from them and yeah we just know that reality behind the behind that uh the lens is, is is not like that and um, but it's also hard to communicate that since people are so much more attracted to like seeing that picture with the powder and skiing down than having a lesson in avalanche education, I guess.
1: Um, I mean, I've seen a big change this winter um, on social media. I feel like many more people athletes started to be open about this topic and um also because it was a really tricky situation not only in the alps uh but also in the states we had like a very interesting tricky winter snow-wise uh at least for some weeks during this winter and yeah as you said obviously People want to see the stoke and the hype and all our nice lines. But I had a really good positive feedback um, about the story that I shared about that day of the avalanche. Um, And I I was really happy to get this positive feedback from so many different kind of people. And I feel like I've seen many more athletes doing that this winter and it was really nice. And I think that it's really important to have athletes or like skiers with, yeah, I don't know, like with sponsors and yeah, like talking about this because I think young kids are kind of looking up more to us, to the athletes than to some Avalanche Instagram page where it's like, it's definitely like, the super good info, but maybe you can't tell kids, ah, oh, you should look up to that page because it's really good for you. Could probably think it's kind of lame, but if you're talking then maybe this could be the change in the younger g- generations. And I think it's a very important one since Instagram is very young, and maybe we don't really know what kind of consequences it can bring later on on these kids by taking wrong decisions or following the wrong examples.
2: Yeah. No, definitely. I mean, uh, you guys have, have way much more uh followers, for example, than uh than the Avalanche warning service. Like when I'm just looking it up, you're on Instagram alone, you I think you have more than fifty thousand followers and that's like three times more than than the local Avalanche warning service. So like you have way more people uh uh yeah, f- following you and seeing your stuff than the stuff which is like coming out from, from the Avalanche Warning Service, for example. Yeah. And I must also say at this point that I actually first became aware of you this winter when you uploaded that video on, on social media with regard to yeah. that uh, Avalanche incident uh, you witnessed yes. there. And uh, yeah, I think that's just a great example of how to draw attention to, to the risks we are uh, facing when we're skiing in the backcountry. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we have already been talking quite a bit. Um, yeah, I'm very happy you 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 both found the time today, uh this evening to talk with me. And uh yeah, is there anything uh you, Markus or Ariana, would like to, to add to this interview?
1: Have fun. Always remember that
2: <laughs> important thing. <laughs> And uh, have fun as <laughs> as long as possible is probably our, should be our yeah. goal. <laughs> Forever. All right. So, um, yeah, thank you very much for, for being part of uh, today's episode and enjoy the rest of the season.
0: Yeah, thank you. You too. Stay safe. See you somewhere on the mountains.
2: And you reached the end of this episode. This episode of the Avalanche Hour podcast was produced by Wes Gregg and myself, Matthias Walcher. Thank you very much for listening. Um, Subscribe, rate, and review the show on whatever podcast platform you're listening to or you're listening on. And uh, tell a friend. Any feedback goes to the TheAvalancheHourPodcast at gmail.com. Also, if you have any suggestions for future topics, uh, artwork credits, go to Mike Tia. And the next episode will be aired on December 23rd. So just before Christmas by Sean Zimmerman Wall. And I will be again on the air in February, by the end of February, I think. You will be informed. Thank you very much again for listening. Thanks also to Christoph Mitterer, Markus Kogler, and Arianna Tricomi for contributing to this show. Good day.